All right, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here to Plum Creek, especially if you happen to be new to our church. This is a special day around here, and I want to congratulate all of the parents who participated in Baby D this morning. It is a powerful thing to witness these children being dedicated to God and to see these families saying, we're, we're going to make Christ the center of our home. That is a big job, and it's a challenging job. And to you parents, it's a job that God has given directly to you. When you really break down what it means to be a parent, it's kind of an amazing thing. Here's what's happening. It's like God is saying to you, hey, I, I love your son or daughter even more than you do, but I'm going to put this precious child in your care for you to raise, for you to teach, for you to protect. Man, when you really think about that huge responsibility, it can get a little scary. But the truth is, parenting is just one example of something we call stewardship. And stewardship is not really a word we use much anymore, but here's the basic idea. God gives each of us different gifts, and he asks us to take care of these gifts for a little while. Like we said, children are one example, but God gives us all kinds of things. He says, I'm going to give you a certain amount of time. I'll give you a certain amount of money. I'll give you certain talents and abilities. I'll give you these relationships. And then all of us have to decide what we're going to do with the gifts that God has entrusted to us. Stewardship is a word that refers to how we handle that responsibility. So this morning, we're going to dig into this idea of stewardship. And we're actually in the third week of a series called Habits. And this series is all about developing the kinds of habits that will ignite spiritual growth in our lives. Over the past two weeks, we've talked about listening to God through Scripture. We've talked about speaking to God through prayer. And today, we're dealing with this habit of stewardship. And I want to say right away, this habit may seem a little more abstract than some of the others we talk about. Uh, for example, if, if I walk up to you and I ask if you have made it a habit to read your Bible regularly or to pray regularly, you know exactly how to answer, right? Because either you have or you haven't. But then if I come up to you and ask if you have the habit of being a good steward, you might say to me, well, I'm not sure. What do you mean by that? So we may be a little fuzzy on this, but here's the reality. Stewardship is one of the most basic principles in all of life. And if you and I are going to have any hope of fulfilling our God-given purpose, we've got to understand stewardship. So here's the plan. We're going to look at two important truths about stewardship, and then I want to talk about three ways that we can handle this responsibility well. So two things to know and three things to do. Sound good? Well, let's dive in. Let's look at the first important truth about stewardship. And you might want to brace yourself for this one. You ready? Here it is. God owns everything, and I own nothing. Now, I'll admit, this may not sound like good news at first, but we have to start here. This is the foundation for everything we'll talk about today. 
And the Bible is very clear on this. Let's look at Psalm 34, or Psalm 24, verse 1, which says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. So there's the big idea. God owns everything. Now, you may have a car. You may have a title that says you own your car, but your car really belongs to God. In fact, the title belongs to him, too. This applies to literally everything in the universe. Mount Everest belongs to God. Every tiny grain of sand belongs to God. The farthest star and the, in the farthest galaxy is his. The flashlight in your junk drawer, that's his, too. And, and then you got to look at yourself. You belong to God. This world, everything is the Lord's. All who live in it. So now, we got this information. What do we do with it? Some people would say, well, sure. If you want to think about it that way, that's fine. Uh, way up there on God's level, we can say it all belongs to him. But down here, in the real world, for all practical purposes, what's mine is mine. And I understand that. We may be tempted to take that pragmatic approach but that mindset will lead us down a dangerous road. This foundational truth is in Scripture for a reason. And this truth should shape the way we think and the way we live. So let me give you a little test. I'm going to ask one multiple choice question and I'll give you two possible answers. It's a pretty simple question. Here it is. What do I mean when I use the word my? When you talk about my house, my car, my career, my kids. What are you saying exactly? You got two choices, A or B. Option A says, well, the word my refers to what is mine. And it's as simple as that. If, if it belongs to me, I think of it as mine. But let's look at option B. If you choose this answer, the word my refers to what God has entrusted to me for the short time that I'm on this earth. Now, since we're in church, and you guys are smart people, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can figure out which answer is the right answer. Based on the Bible, B is the correct response, right? But I'm not looking for the Sunday school answer. I'm looking for the honest answer based on what's really in your heart. So let's think about it this way. When you look at your money or your stuff, do you feel like you have certain rights that would go along with ownership? Like, you know what? I worked hard for everything I have. I deserve this. But what if God said, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I, I need to take back everything you've accumulated over the years. And uh, I'm going to need it all right now. If God said that to you, how would you respond? Would something inside you feel like God is treating you unfairly? Well, here's the thing. If you never owned any of that stuff in the first place, you don't have an argument, do you? You have no right to make demands. So let's go back to that question. I, I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but here's my guess. My guess is that all of us have a tendency to slip into that mindset of option A. We, we start to think, What's mine is really mine. But the truth is, we don't own any of it. It's all on loan from God. 
then if that's the case, where does that leave us? It kind of seems like a vulnerable existence, right? You don't have a claim to anything. Well, I can't argue with that, but there is good news here. And the good news is this. God is not evil, and he's not needy. I mean, God is he's good, not evil. He's more than good. He's perfect. He's not needy in any way, shape, or form. He's not weak or poor. He doesn't lack anything. And I love what God says over in Psalm 50, verse 2. God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So God will never approach us out of need. He, he will never approach us with bad or evil intentions. And you know what that means? We can relax. We can trust him. I don't have to live in fear about what I may lose. I can trust that God will give me exactly what I need. I guarantee you, if you and I take on that attitude, it will change how we live. In the Bible, John the Baptist is a great example of someone who consistently answered that multiple choice question with option B. Now, a lot of us are familiar with John the Baptist. He was the one who paved the way for the coming of Jesus. He spent a lot of time out in the wilderness preaching these fiery sermons and telling people to repent and turn to God. And even though John was a little strange and abrasive and he had absolutely no sense of fashion, people actually listened to him. John developed this large base of fans and disciples and at the peak of his career, he was a celebrity, no doubt about it. But over in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, John the Baptist makes this statement, and it tells you all about his heart. And listen to what he says in John 3, 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So whatever I have, whatever I accomplish, it's not mine. We learn that John didn't think of anything as truly his with that statement. Whatever he had was a gift on loan from God, and that would include his talents to preach the word and influence people. That would include his whole career. And for a long time, John's success was on this consistent upward trend. But then one day, God wants John to step aside because it's time for Jesus to move into the spotlight. And what happens then? Well, just a few verses later, John chapter 3, verse 30 John the Baptist says, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, hey, it's okay. The spotlight is not mine to keep. My, my whole career has been a gift that God has entrusted to me, and, and it was never permanent. It, it was a temporary assignment. If God says it's time for me to let go, I'm totally okay with that. So that's it right there. John the Baptist just showed us how it's done. That's how you live according to the truth that everything belongs to God. So very quickly, let's take a brief personal inventory. Let's all ask the question, what has God given me? And we can think about this for just a moment right now, but I encourage you to go home and make a detailed list. I, my bet is that your list will be longer than you expect it to be. And you could start by looking at your money and your stuff, uh, material things like your car or your house or anything tangible that you own. 
But we need to go beyond material things. God has also given us time. That's also a gift. And it comes with responsibility. We all know what it's like to use our time well, and we also know what it's like to waste time. But let's keep going. What about talents? Do you think of your talents and abilities and strengths as gifts that God has entrusted to you? What about people? We've mentioned children, and that's a great example, but that's only the beginning. If you're married, God has entrusted your spouse to you to, to love and to care for. If you're a boss, he's given you your employees. If you're a teacher, he's given you your students. In fact, just about any relationship you have is a stewardship issue. God has positioned you to have a powerful influence on other people in your life. And your influence will be either positive or negative. So do you see how deep this goes? Stewardship is absolutely foundational in our lives. It's not just a spiritual discipline. It's central to all the spiritual disciplines. Professor Donald Whitney says, we need to practice stewardship as a discipline because it's so easy to waste our time and squander our talent and be careless with our treasure. When we're being honest, we know our natural tendency is to mismanage these gifts. But God is not okay with that. This is actually the second important truth about stewardship. God has entrusted me with the responsibility to be a good steward of what he's given me. He didn't just say, well, here's a bunch of gifts, do whatever you want with them. No, God has high expectations for us, and, and that's been the case going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So way back then, God told Adam, I want you to take care of this world. Don't trash it. Don't damage it. Take care of it. God wanted Adam to work, to work hard, to make this world fruitful, to see it flourishing. And by the way, those instructions never went away. Everyone living today ha has been entrusted by God to take care of this planet. So we should add the earth to that list of God's gifts. That's something to think about. But whenever God gives us any gift, there's always a responsibility that goes along with it. He's asking us to be good stewards. And he's given us a guarantee that we will be held accountable for the kind of job we do. Over in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking and he says... Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So God is calling us to be good stewards of what he's given us. We see this concept all over scripture. And Jesus told lots of stories about stewards and he did that as a way to help us understand this spiritual reality. Now, in Bible times, people knew exactly what a steward was because it was a common role in the ancient world. And the Greek word for steward actually means house manager. It's those two Greek words combined together, house and manager, that, that's a steward. So often the story went like this. A, a nice home or estate would always have a master. And the master was the owner of the house or the farm or the palace or whatever. But for various reasons, the master would occasionally have to leave home for an extended period. 
And before he left, the master would appoint one of his servants to manage the household. The servant would literally take the place of the master in his absence. And that important position was called a steward. So with that picture in mind, we finally have a good definition for stewardship. Stewardship is the responsibility to manage what God has given. Now, based on that definition, we need to ask ourselves another question. And the question is not, am I a steward? Because God has made all of us stewards. He's given each of us lots of things to manage. The question is, what kind of steward am I? What kind of steward am I? And again, we're not looking for Sunday school answers here. We're looking for honest answers. How am I doing at managing what God has given me? This week, I got to thinking about that question, and I remembered a time when I did a terrible job of being a steward. This story goes back more than 15 years ago when I was single and living up in Finley, Ohio. And back then, I had some good friends that I used to hang out with all the time, the Hogan family. Great family. Well, at one point, the Hogans went on vacation, and they asked me to take care of their house while they were gone. And remember, the word steward actually means house manager, and that's, that's what I was doing for the Hogans. It wasn't too complicated. They, they asked me to go over and feed the cat, make sure the place hadn't burned down or anything. It was, it was pretty simple, right? It should have been simple. But let me tell you what happened. Shortly before this assignment, I had been down in Tennessee visiting my parents, and I was having trouble with my car. I drove an old Saturn at the time, and for some reason, uh, this this car just occasionally wouldn't start. Well, I I told my dad about this problem, and being the kind, proactive guy he is, one day, while I was taking a nap, dad took my car over to this mechanic who was pretty much a classic redneck. This mechanic, and I use that term loosely, came up with a creative solution to fix my car. He installed a special red button under the hood, and and now I had a a new procedure to start the car. Now, this this Saturn was a stick shift, and and here's what I had to do. First, I had to make sure the, the car was in neutral. I pulled the emergency brake. I take my key, put it in the ignition. Then I pop the hood. I get out, walk around, and I have to push this red button. As soon as I push the button, vroom, the engine starts. Then I close the hood, get back in, and I'm ready to drive away. That was how this guy fixed my car. So needless to say, I would need to get the job done right, but you know, for the moment, I had to get back home to Ohio. I, I had to get to work. I had all these other responsibilities. But this is how I got to the place where I was house-sitting for the Hogan's but I was still starting my car with the red button. Here's where things take a very bad turn. One day, I I stopped over to check on the house, and I was kind of in a hurry. So I parked the car right in front of their garage. I ran inside. I fed the cat, checked to make sure everything was cool, and, and I'm in a hurry. So I go back out to get ready to leave. I jump in the car, I put the key in the ignition, I pop the hood, I jump out, I walk over to the front of the the car, I press the red button. Did you notice what step I skipped? Yeah, (laughs) you guys know. (laughs) I forgot to to put the car in neutral, pull the emergency brake, and turns out that was an important step. (laughs) 
In a shocking turn of events, two things happened when I pressed the red button, standing in front of the car. Number one, vroom, the engine comes to life. Number two, as soon as the engine starts, the car lunges straight at me, about to run me over. So thinking quickly, I dive out of the way, and for about half a second, I'm lying on the ground, just grateful that I'm still alive, until, boom, the car puts a huge hole in the Hogan's garage door. That, my friends, is being a bad steward. I was so upset about this, I just walked over and I sat down on the steps. I was in shock. The cat came out and, and crawled up into my lap. <laughs> and I just sat there. I, I knew I had to call the Hogans, I knew I had to ruin their vacation, tell them what happened, but not yet. <laughs> For a long time, I just sat on those steps, petting that cat and looking at the hole in the garage door. I can laugh about it now, but at the time, I was kind of a mess. And you understand why, don't you? This was not my house. I had been entrusted with the responsibility to take care of this house. It belonged to my friends. And I cared about my friends. I wanted to help them out. I wanted them to have a great vacation and then come home and find everything safe and sound. But I made an idiotic mistake. And it was all the worse because I had a special relationship with the owners. Now, I tell that story because we're all asking the question, what kind of steward am I? How am I handling the responsibility of managing what God has given to me? And I've got to ask you, what kind of relationship do you have with the owner? Do you see him as the true owner of all of your gifts? And do you have the kind of relationship with God where you love him and you want to please him? I ask those questions because they have a direct correlation to how you will handle this role. And the sad truth is, when people have a weak or non-existent relationship with God, they're not going to be good stewards of what he's given them. Jesus told a story about a man like that, and it may help us to hear what Jesus said. Back in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 16, Jesus is speaking in front of a crowd, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, I want us to notice something about this story. Did you see how many times this man uses the word my? He talks about my crops and my barns and my grain what does he mean when he uses the word my? He really thinks of himself as the owner of those things, right? In fact, in, in this man's opinion, his whole life was about him. He, he thought the main point of his existence was to eat and drink and be merry. 
what it's about, right? But what did God say? God, in effect, he said something like, you don't get it, man. This life is not about you. You've squandered the gifts that I've given you, and you've been completely foolish. You thought your material things belonged to you. You thought your time belonged to you, but that was never the case. See, the man in this story is the perfect example of a bad steward. I'm sure we all know people who have followed this man's example. I'm sure we can think of times when we've been tempted to follow this man's example. So how do we get it right? How can we handle this responsibility well? How can we develop the habit of being a good steward? Well, there's way too much we can talk about here for just one sermon. But I'll close today by giving you three suggestions of where to go from here. These three suggestions apply to so many areas of life. Parenting, money management, time management, your career, all kinds of things. But this will give us a place to start. First, as a steward of God's gifts... We need to manage from an eternal perspective. We don't want to get bogged down in the things of this world because that's how we get a warped perspective on what is truly important. This life is short. It's incredibly short when you compare it with eternity. So ask yourself, what's going to matter a hundred years from now or a million years from now? We should invest our time and our money and our energy on those things that will last forever. It makes no sense to live for the kingdoms of this world. We're not here to build our own little kingdoms. We're here to make God's kingdom our number one priority. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. By the way, when Jesus says all these things, he's talking about the basic needs of life, food and clothing and shelter, etc. Jesus says, when you focus on God's kingdom and, and really trust that he's going to take care of you, everything else will fall into place. So do a quick heart check here. If someone looked at your checking account and your calendar, would they come to the conclusion that God's kingdom is your top priority? Or parents, if you have children, you know they're watching you. They're learning from you. Are they drawing the conclusion that God's kingdom is your top priority? All of you parents who dedicated children this morning, in the coming years, this is a part of your responsibility. Your kids will get a strong message from you about what's important. So what will that message be? It's a challenging thought, isn't it? So that's one suggestion, but we've got two more ways to approach this role of a steward. The second thing we should do is manage with an open hand. Remember John the Baptist? Remember when God said it was time for John's career to take a downward turn? What did he do? Did, did John try to hold on to his fame and his success? No. He held those things with an open hand. John said, okay, Jesus must increase, I must decrease we find ourselves in the same position. There's a great passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul is writing to a young church leader and he says, command those who are rich in this present world. How many people in the United States would fit in that category? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's good. And then he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's kind of the opposite of the man in the story that Jesus told. The man in that story, he tried to hoard his riches for himself. But Paul said, don't walk through life with closed hands. Manage what God has given you with your hands open. Be generous. Be ready to share. I've said this many times, but one of the reasons I love being a part of Plum Creek is that there are so many generous people here. I could point to many examples of this, but one recent one is from just a few weeks ago when we talked about missions of hope. I I described the situation over in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, where children are living in the slums and, and the needs there are urgent. And I laid out an opportunity where you could sponsor a child to make sure their basic needs are met, to make sure they'll hear the message of Jesus. And I got to tell you, the response was just amazing. It costs $38 a month to sponsor a child. And you guys have stepped up and sponsored 82 children. That means over the coming year, through child sponsorship, Plum Creek is sending more than $37,000 to this mission. And that's on top of the regular missions we support. So I'm inspired. I'm inspired by the people here who manage their gifts with an open hand. And that's not just in the area of finances, but also with time and with talents and other gifts. But there's one last suggestion I need to mention here, and it's one that we can never leave out. If you want to be a good steward, you've got to manage in response to the grace of Jesus. See, here's the problem. This role of a a steward, it's beyond us. (laughs) Uh, Who here has the ability to be a perfect parent? Who has the ability to be a perfect spouse? Who's going to do a perfect job of managing time or managing money? Nobody, right? And I can look back on my life and I can remember that painful story when I did a lot of damage to my friend's garage door. I can also look back on some damage I've caused in other areas of my life. I hate to say it, but I've made some bad decisions. There's no denying it. So what's left for me? When God calls me to account for the job I've done as his steward, is he going to condemn me for all the ways I've messed up? He has every right to. He has every right to. But a long time ago, Jesus Christ did something to solve my problem. Jesus knew that all of us deserve to be punished for the way we've mismanaged our lives. But he stepped in and he took our place. He went to the cross so we could escape the punishment that we deserved. He he offered us this gift of grace. And if you've begun a life-changing relationship with Jesus, you have experienced that grace. You know what it's like to be forgiven and free. And that's the best news in the world because it means you can move past your past. You can look around your life and you can see some of the damage that you've caused. And you can still hear God say, it's okay. I can take your life from wherever you are today and I can get you to where you need to be. So do you see how this affects our roles as stewards and managers? When we're living in the grace of Jesus, we don't have to look at this responsibility as a burden. And we're not under this pressure to perform perfectly. 
We can look at God's gifts and we can respond with love and gratitude. And we can say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for the gifts that you've entrusted to me. And we can say, God, you tell me what to do with my time, with my money, with my kids, whatever. Because it's all yours anyway. In the end, stewardship is a huge responsibility. But it's also one of the best ways we can express our love to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us. Far better than what we deserve. And so we thank you. We praise you for your goodness. We're grateful for your gifts. And, and I pray that you will teach us and empower us to manage those gifts well for your glory. Lord, I pray that uh, we as a church will do that. I pray as individuals and in our homes that we'll do that. And I know that all of us need to, to take steps in this direction of being good stewards. And I realize that there are likely people here who have not taken that first step of surrendering their lives to you. God, I pray that you will uh, speak to each of their hearts and help all of us take the steps we need to take. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.